Good morning. I'll tell you right up front, I'm looking forward to May 31st when I won't be speaking to a camera, but instead be able to move around and speak to people that would be in our congregation. Now, we want to remind you that we will still be live streaming, uh, so you will be able to see what we're doing in our worship. It just won't be that I'll be looking straight at you. So we're thankful that God has given us this equipment to offer this kind of ministry to you. Now, as you may know, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and this is going to be about the earliest that you can have Memorial Day. Uh, because it's the uh, last Monday of the month of May. And we realize that, like other celebrations, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, This is not going to be necessarily that exciting for some people to have a three-day weekend if they've been uh, staying at home a lot. Uh, Also, there are some things that people might be uh, uh, missing out on, some of their traditions that they would typically do on a Memorial Day weekend. And then also, we realize that there have been several losses associated with this COVID-19 restrictions and involvement. And as a result, there are many things that will distract us this coming weekend. Uh, we, uh, as we look at this, we want to go to prayer and ask God to work on our hearts as we consider uh, what we should be remembering And not forgetting. Our Father, as we come to you in prayer, we we really do ask for your help. Uh, It's easy for us to forget the things we ought to remember and to focus on the things that we'd probably be better off forgetting. But Father, as we work through this time of crisis and as we are uh, desiring to get back together and and to to worship together, that we might... uh, Remember why we do this. We do this because of our relationship with you. And Father, I pray for our dear friends that it just won't be possible for them to get together with us next week, that we will uh, will continue to stay connected with them and that they'll know that they are connected with us. Father, again, we we pray for your blessing upon your word and that we might uh, be encouraged as to what you want to remind us of. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and it was originally instituted under the name of Decoration Day. started shortly after the Civil War, one of the greatest uh, uh, crises in our country at the time. Many lives were lost, and they wanted to have a way to remember those that had given their lives in fighting for the cause. It wasn't until about 100 years later that Congress decided that they would uh, take this now called Memorial Day and place it as the last Monday of May so that laborers could have a three-day weekend and so that it would be more uh, practical to be able to remember those. From that, we get the idea of using a Memorial Day lest we forget That phrase is associated often in our Memorial Day services, but it was made popular back in uh, 1897 by uh, a Christian poem written by Rudyard Kipling called The Recessional. The phrase actually is embedded in Moses' speech after the defeat of Sihon, king 
of the Amorites. You can find that speech in, uh, starting out in the first part of Deuteronomy and going through several chapters. But he says this in verse 9 of chapter 4. He says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart. It's horrible to forget something. It's horrible to have amnesia. Now, amnesia isn't like forgetting your keys or finding out that you're halfway to a trip, that you left something at home. Uh, Amnesia is having that block of time that you just cannot recall. Now, I've had an experience of amnesia that came after a procedure, after coming off the anesthesia. And as I was coming out of that, I cannot tell you anything that took place. But my wife, Marty, can tell you there were some very humorous interactions that I had. But I have a block in my mind as to what happened. I don't know who was there visiting. I don't know who I talked with. I had episodal amnesia. I am so thrilled that Marty did not have the insight to take out her camera and to record it as did Candace, the wife of, uh, of, uh, of Jason Mortensen. And you may recall this video that went uh, viral, where he is coming out of amnesia, uh, he's coming out of anesthesia uh, with uh, amnesia, and he sees her, and he can't figure out who she is. And when he finds out that she is his wife, he goes bonkers, and he says, I've hit the jackpot. I can't believe I've married to someone as beautiful as you. How tragic it is to, uh, to have something and not realize that you really do have it. And that is true for us at times as Christians, that Jesus Christ has done so much for us, but we have what Paul Tripp calls functional amnesia as he was referring to his a message out of Colossians chapter 2, he reminds us that this functional amnesia is that which creates a situation where our uh, Monday through Saturday lifestyle may not match up with our Sunday morning theology. And that, that uh, Paul was attempting to help the people of the Colossians so that they would know that they had an identity that was consistent with their theology and that they wouldn't be having this amnesia. So what we want to look at today out of that same Colossian passage is those things that we don't want to forget. It's important that we not waste a crisis that we not take a situation that could be used of God to help us to grow to become like the Lord Jesus Christ, that we should instead look to see why this is happening to help me become more like Jesus. So let's look at what could be some inconsistencies in our theology and our walk. Paul says it this way, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus... The Lord, so walk in him. Colossians 2, 6. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? I think essentially we needed to recognize our bankruptcy, that we were totally empty without Christ. There was nothing we were going to do to make us presentable before a holy God. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
that we are unable to make ourselves right before him. Paul reminds them of this in the first chapter as he writes here in Colossians. He says that that uh, delivered us from the domain of darkness. This is what we, where we were, in the domain of darkness. And in verse 21, we were once alienated and hostile in mind. That as we look at what we were delivered from, we were bankrupt. There was nothing that we could do. We need to embrace that same kind of attitude, not only in the fact that we have our eternal life, but to be able to have a life that is impacting for the Lord Jesus Christ. That not only as a process of becoming a child of God do we need to depend on Jesus and recognize our bankruptcy, but also that we, to, in order to walk as a child of God, we need to rest on that. So not only do we have the same need or bankruptcy, we also have the same solution. Paul says this, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Uh, verse 14 and verse 22 says, he has now reconciled us by the death of Jesus Christ. That these were critical for us to come to know Christ. And if you are recognizing, really recognizing right now, that you do not have a right standing with God, and you know that there is nothing you can do to make yourself right before God, you're in a good position because it's at that point, that bankruptcy that you are capable then to receive the wonderful gift that Jesus Christ offers so that you can have eternal life. Paul is saying here that same kind of redemption that is available to us so that we can be justified before a holy God is critical for us as we walk before a holy God. That as we are believers, we need to depend upon the same kind of grace. For some reason, we tend to forget that we need to lean on Christ through that and that he is the one who is going to help us through this situation. Now, why did Paul need to bring this up to the people of Colossians? Well, essentially, they had some false teachers at the time. We refer to them many times as the Gnostics. That they were presenting a higher knowledge that would allow those that were familiar with Christ to see him in a different light so that they could have an experience that was different than the gospel. And many of the Colossians were falling for this false teaching. So Paul wanted to make it clear to them that their identity was not wrapped into seeking out something beyond what Christ has already done for them. That they desire to match our emotions and expectations uh, with, with something. And that makes sense. When we have a desire to, to please God, we get in our mind some kind of expectation of what that would look like experientially and what that would look like emotionally. And sometimes we just don't feel a certain way or we just don't see certain things happening in our lives. And that's the time when some kind of teaching can come in and say, if you only do this, then you can have that. But Paul wants to remind them that they are complete in Christ. He says this, for in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled. You're complete in him. So, what are some things that we, don't, that we don't need to forget? Or what are the things we need to remember? 
there are three things that I see in this text that will help us in our desire to match our theology with uh, our actions or match our actions with our theology to avoid this uh, functional amnesia. And the first thing of that is to remember what our purpose is to bear fruit. In chapter 1, Paul is saying that he's praying for the people there at the Colossians. And he starts in verse 9 and he says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then these important words, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing it in the knowledge of God. We need to remember that we have a purpose that God wants us to fulfill. And we can get distracted from that purpose. We could go with lower goals, goals that aren't as high as that of pleasing and glorifying God, growing to be more like him, to be like a tree that bears fruit. We can be distracted by goals of comfort, uh, distracted by goals of success or even material need. And these things can come into our life and can cause us to think that's what we need to be fulfilled. becomes our identity. If only I have this, then I'll be fulfilled. Or another way to look at it, if only COVID-19 hadn't done this, then I would have been fulfilled. My life is ruined because of this or that. It's not so, because we are complete in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that COVID-19 can take away from us that is not fulfilled in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very hard for us at times, but it's an important truth to help us to navigate and make sure that our functional life matches with our theology. He goes on to describe more of this illustration of a tree. He says in verse 7 of chapter 2, he said, We should be rooted and built up in him, Christ, and established in the faith. Not only do we have an opportunity to have eternal life, we have an opportunity to have an established life. And that established life shows that we have rooted ourselves in Jesus Christ, that we have allowed our faith in him. Just like we needed that faith for our eternal life, we need that faith to have an established life. It's kind of like thinking about a tree. And this is a good memorial for you to have. If you're wanting to think about what you have in Christ, as you wander and get a chance to get outside, you see things in bloom this spring, and you come across one of these fruit trees, and they're all budding, and you know that there's going to be some fruit on them. We have some fruit trees in our yard back in, uh, at our home, and they're budding, and it's actually the first time they've done this, and there's going to be some fruit on those trees, and we're selling our house. But uh, the, the point is, when we see that fruit, we know, we know that there's a good root system below. That is the root that's drawing the nutrients that allows the fruit to come out. And when Paul is exhorting the people there of the Colossians that they need to be rooted in Christ, 
that they needed to ensure that their lives were going deep for Jesus Christ and that our hearts are of concern. It's so easy for us to just look at fruit and assume that, that fruit is the, the, the thing that we are completely concerned about. We do know there's times when people can have false fruit, but you can't have false roots. Your roots need to be in Jesus Christ and that, that you are rooted in him. So the next time you see a, a tree, use that as a memorial to be reminded of how that Christ is the one who establishes you in your growth for him. Not only should we remember that we have a purpose of bearing fruit, we should remember that the war continues. Paul uses this kind of language when he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. He refers also to the elemental spirits of this world that we should not allow those items to distract us from those uh, tr th those teachings those elemental teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ this is where we can get confused there's a battle there's a battle for our hearts and our and our thoughts and our our way in which we put things together in our thinking and there are voices that are out there that might be telling us that we can have our best life now. Or that if, if God really loves us, then these type of things should come into place. Or if we only had more of blank, then we would have this or that. And so as a result, there are those voices out there that can confuse us, can make us think that, uh, that Christ isn't our identity. Not only are there voices, there are own our own emotions, where we are caught up in what our expectations are of what the Christian life should look like. We're no different than the people of Colossae. We're looking for something that will help us have a way of measuring our spirituality, wherein God wants us to rest on what he has done and to, uh, instead of trying to figure out what our emotions should be like. A third item that really makes the battle difficult is our tendency to be covetous. We'll look at what's going on in the life of somebody else and say, why is it that they seem successful in these areas? Why are they happy? Why are this? And we have a tendency of being covetous of what they have, not realizing that we have access to the same God, to the same grace, and that it's not about us keeping our eyes on other people, and wondering why they are experiencing what they're experiencing, the responsibility is for us to have our eyes on Jesus Christ. There is a battle. Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 6 and says we ought to put on an ar armor. He also describes it to the Corinthians and tells us that it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities. And it's a battle of our mind. We do well to re be reminded that there is a battle and that we need to depend upon Jesus Christ through that battle, the battle of the worldly teaching, the battle of Satan's lies, and the battle of our own flesh that wants to have our own way. The third element that I draw out of this passage that we should not forget is really the gospel. Paul talks extensively about how this should impact our lives. 
the first item, he says in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says that, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled or completed in him. That because of the deity of Jesus Christ, because of who he is, that he's not only the, the fully man, Jesus Christ, he's the fully God, Jesus Christ. You see the Gnostics at the time of, of, the, of the writing of this book didn't believe that. They, they believed instead that God would be of a certain level of holiness and the flesh was far away from that and that Jesus somehow had to be somewhere in between so we could identify with him. But Paul wanted to be very clear that he was completely God. And because he's completely God, we are complete because he's in us. He's complete in us. And he fulfills all of our identity needs. The gospel, as I mentioned before, doesn't only give us the entrance into heaven, but the gospel gives us what we need to be established in our life, that we desperately need to lean on Jesus Christ through this and recognize his deity as the one who will help us through that. We're also told in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2, these words. He says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised, also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. That Jesus Christ's work on the cross, that his resurrection was actually that purging. Without going into too much detail, the circumcision was a particular cutting away of flesh that was designed for identity purposes. You were either a part of this group or not a part of this group based upon that physical indication. Paul is using this to show that not only was there uh, a need uh, for them to have a physical identity, that needed to be replaced. That needed to be replaced with the spiritual identity with Jesus Christ. Now, in the, even in the Old Testament, uh, God would tell them that they might have been physically circumcised or had that purging, but their hearts were not. And so here, Paul is just clarifying for them that Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection is what allows us to be able to have a purged heart, a heart that is, is clean before God as we are raised with him. Uh, he has that emphasis of that being baptized in the spirit with Jesus Christ. When we partake of the baptism, when individuals come forth and say they want to be identified with Christ, that is a memorial of the fact that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. When we go underneath the water, it represents the death and burial. And when we come back out, it represents the resurrection. We want to make sure we remember that wonderful power that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ in his work and his resurrection. A third item that is clear in here is that we have the forgiveness of sins because of the cross. It would be very tempting to think of the cross as being an evil thing. Uh, It was at the time. It was one of the greatest uh, 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 torturous, awful things 
that the Romans created to degrade and to provide the, the maximum pain and punishment. But for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the cross is actually a signal or a sign or a memorial of victory. Verse 13 says, you were dead, but God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The cross was critical in our forgiveness. Imagine what it would be like to focus on the fact that as a husband or a wife or a child or a neighbor or a church member, that you're forgiven, that you have that mercy of God that has declared you forgiven, and you can move forward in those relationships as a forgiven child of God. What a great blessing that is to, to focus on that instead of just thinking about how much we disappoint ourselves by not being what our expectations are. The cross is a reminder of that, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. We are alive through the work of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, the church that I'm a part of, uh, our sending church, uh, had a project. And the project was designed for us to think about what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. We were handed a piece of paper and a nail. And we were to write on the piece of paper that which Christ did for us, the sins that we wanted to remember that uh, God had forgiven. Now, we could have volumes of, of, of paper. That would have been very difficult to nail all that to the cross. But we picked out something in particular, folded it up, and we took it to the cross. And uh, this cross was similar to the one that's right here, only a large cross and very rustic looking. And it was kind of laying at an angle so you could get to it. And we were, there were hammers there, and we'd pick up the hammer, and we would tap, 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 and we would drive that, that piece of paper into the cross with that nail. We drove that sin into the cross. And I remember it being a great visual, but you know what? As I listened to the tap, tap, tapping, and it multiplied as more people went forward to put their sin on the cross, and as the tapping increased and it went on, I'll be, be you know, transparent. It was really affecting me emotionally as I thought about the nails being driven through the hands of my Lord Jesus Christ, through the feet of my Lord Jesus Christ, and to recognize that when that was happening, my sins were being nailed to the cross as well. Here's how Paul said it. By canceling the record of debts that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside nailing it to the cross. How does that impact us when we think about our functional theology, when we tend to want to forget what Jesus has done for us? If we just imagine that when we see a cross, that our sins are nailed to that cross and that they are not to be in our life to continue to bother and pester us, but that we are made right before God, and that we are given the strength to live right before God. The last thing he says in this chapter is very fitting, uh, especially for those that would have been familiar with the Roman, uh, Roman customs. He says this, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
the Romans had a custom that when a, a general or a leader had a successful battle and was able to take over the enemy, that uh, at certain times they would have a parade, a triumphant, where that general was, was given opportunity to parade before the people. Behind him would be all his troops and all his strength, but in front of him would be shackled the enemies that were now defeated and in submission to the rule of that particular kingdom. And so as a result, the people who stood by and watched, not only did they cheer for the victory, they were reminded of the defeat. They were reminded that they were no longer going to be oppressed or impacted by this enemy. Paul reminds us that that is what's true of us that Jesus Christ's work on the cross makes it possible for us to note that our enemies are defeated, that this reminder is a great rem a memorial to us of what Christ has done. Yes, we still have that lion that walks about seeking to devour us, but he's defeated. And it's done through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we rejoice. We want to close our time with a song that reminds us of how this was done. That the worthy of the lamb that was slain, the lamb who was, was the one who makes it possible for us to not only have eternal life, but have a life that's established so that our functional life matches our theology. So don't forget, don't forget to trust God to bear fruit. Don't forget to fight false beliefs with the truth. And don't forget to walk in Christ's forgiveness. Father, as we take time to reflect this weekend, about your, your work in our lives, this memorial that we have through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at a tree and we're reminded of the fruit that we ought to be bearing, that we will lean on you for the strength to do that. And Father, as we look at a cross and we think of our sins being nailed to that cross and we're free from those sins, to be able to walk and to live as one who is complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that we will do this all for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.